Welcome to the Do Good to Lead Well podcast. If you're passionate about mastering self-leadership, then you're in the right place. I have always been curious about and fascinated by the pursuit of leadership excellence. This is why I pursued my PhD in psychology with a specialization in business, and I've continued to dedicate my career to understanding the science and practice of positive leadership. My name is Craig Dowden. I'm a best-selling author, award-winning keynote speaker, executive coach, and member of the Forbes Coaches Council. Each week, I'll bring you world-class content on the science and practice of positive leadership. Through my conversations with best-selling authors, TED speakers, and top CEOs, you'll be able to leverage their insights and experience so you can maximize your potential and be the leader the world needs you to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Do Get to Lead Well webinar and podcast series. I'm your host, Craig Dowden, and it's an absolute privilege to have you here this afternoon. I'm really looking forward to engaging in a live conversation where you will be able to ask your questions with best-selling author, top global thought leader, Adam Bryant. Recently, me and the team learned that Do Good to Lead Well is now in the top 0.5% of all podcasts globally. And that could never have possibly happened without your ongoing support. You've just been an amazing community with lots of great ideas. You ask amazing questions. I get feedback from guests all the time about how much they appreciate your engagement, your involvement, how thoughtful you are. So thank you for being a part of this forum. And I just feel, as I said, incredibly grateful that I have the privilege of hosting these conversations. And another huge reason why this podcast and webinar series has been so well received is because we've been able to get some amazing guests. And Adam Bryant has joined me multiple times. Thrilled that Adam is back because has an amazing new book out through Harvard Business Review Press, The Lead to Leader. It's awesome, like absolutely awesome. I cannot tell you how important a read this is. I'll do as best I can a very high overview of, of Adam's bio. He's the senior managing director and partner for the EXO Group, where he works with hundreds of ambitious leaders rising through the ranks. As the creator and former author of the iconic corner office column for the New York Times, Adam has interviewed over 650 CEOs and discussed their key insights across four different books. And last time he was on the podcast, he was discussing the CEO test, which is another rock star book that you have to check out. Today, we'll be talking about Leap to Leader. And his latest, Leap to Leader, provides a trusted playbook for making the biggest jump of your career. The book shares the collective wisdom of all of the CEOs and C-suite executives that Adam has worked with and interviewed by sharing powerful insights and compelling stories about how to make the leap along with practical strategies and tactics for building a successful career. And I love this through managing our relationships and our mindset. And so I'm so excited once this was in my calendar, I was like, this is so great because I, I love to connect with Adam and also Canadian. So I always, <laughs> I've got to raise my hand for the bias and then also say before welcoming you today, Adam, and a sincere appreciation for me early in my journey in putting together my CEO interviews and how I was approaching writing and other things. 
You've just been an endless support of encouragement, mentorship. I wanted to make that a, a special form of gratitude before we start today. Oh, great. Thanks so much, Craig. And, and our roots do go deep. You and I have known each other for a while, and it's been great to watch your uh, evolution and all that you've done in this important space. Well, thank you. What motivated you to write this book, The Leap to Leader? And how is it different from the CEO test? Yeah, different in a couple of ways. And I do see them as complementary. Um, one way is that with the CEO test, and I wrote that with Kevin Sher, the former CEO of, of Amgen, our, our goal was to, as best we could, answer the question, what are the most important things that leaders do? We started with just this question, like, why do leaders succeed or fail in their roles? And the book is called The CEO Test, but it's not just about CEOs or, and not just for CEOs, but what can we learn from CEOs? So through that, we ultimately identified what we consider the, the seven kind of break points. Like what are the things that you just got to get right? Doesn't matter if you're leading a team of 10 people or 500,000. But again, that's what that book was about what leaders do. I got really intrigued with sort of the other side of that coin, which is what does it mean to be a leader? What is the CEO test and what you do that's kind of like the external game of leadership? But I, I've increasingly come to appreciate that just as important in terms of leadership is the internal game. And what is the mindset shift you need to make to become a leader? And what is the internal excavation work, the reflection? Like, what do you have to get right inside your head to be an effective leader? And I always write books because there's a question that I don't know the answer to, and I want to discover the answer through my interviews and the reporting and, and thinking about it. And that's what really motivated me with the leap to leaders to, to really try and unpack, like, what does it mean to be a leader? What is the mindset shift you have to make? And as you know, book projects are sort of two year cycles. And I do feel like with this, lucky's probably the wrong word, but just there is a bit of a tailwind because we work with Fortune 20 companies and private equity VC firms, family businesses. And, and one of the most consistent themes we hear is that companies really need their managers to step up. And because if you're a frontline manager, you're sort of dealing with conversations that you may not been trained to have. And anybody who goes into management leadership who has this, just show me the playbook. It's like, there's no playbook. We're, we're all figuring it out on our own. So, you know, just this idea of like being a leader is not about the title on your business card or how many direct reports you have. It is about your internal mindset. Those are kind of a couple of the main motivations and how it's different and complementary to the CEO test. Well, and it's so cool that you use the word companion. That's exactly when I was reading it, I was going, these two, I, I couldn't think of a better way to, to link two books together. And, it, and I recall at the end of the CEO test, you were talking about the inner game of leadership. And it almost to me, Brent, I was going, wow, this is exactly that. It's just, okay, I planted the seed and now I'm really going to expand on that. Was that part of the plan or did it come out? Organically, yeah, it certainly was part of it. My appreciation, especially in the work that we do with very senior leaders, the message just keeps getting reinforced to me over and over. Like the internal game is just as important as the external game. Like just because people are deal with a lot of stuff internally, right? Like how do you confidence and you don't want to be overconfident? Sort of all these infinite balancing acts of leadership and 
Um, how much data should you have before you actually make a decision? And how do you deal with all the pressures of leadership? And just, again, a lot of, there's just so much internal work that needs to be done. And my approach is, is and has always been, I always say that I, my goal is to start conversations about leadership rather than end them. I don't want to provide like a cookie cutter formula because I don't think that works. But I do hope that some of the, what I share in the Leap to Leader will help people start conversations with themselves because I think, you know, and those conversations are like hours and hours, right? Phones off, you, maybe a blank piece of paper in front of you, but just that sort of internal reflection work because you got to do that. You got to get your head right so that you could be really effective in all the challenges you're going to face all day long. I couldn't agree more. It's why I'm such a big fan uh, of your work and, and the thoughtful questions and how you are a profound conversation starter. And it is, it's a lifelong journey. We are students of leadership and just have to continually ask these questions. Already have a comment. Yeah, this is so fun because it's, it really beautifully encapsulates what we we're talking about before about the community. Hey, Craig and Adam, greetings from New York City. I just finished reading Adam's terrific new book and posted a five-star Amazon review yesterday and LinkedIn post today from Todd Church. Hey, Todd. <laughs> yeah, see, this is what's awesome. Oh, it's part of, a, you know, an ongoing conversation. Now, you started the book back to starting a conversation. You opened the book with a really powerful reflection question where you challenge us, like, do you really want to lead? And you walk us through, I love that question. In the book, the word really is italicized because I really wanted to draw people's attention to that. And, and, and I think it's a, an important question that not enough people ask of themselves and, and from the corporate side, when they're looking at leaders and moving them along and the sort of pipeline of leadership development succession, um, it's just a question that people don't ask enough. And I think they should. These jobs are so hard, right? And I'm not talking just about the CEO job, like even any C-suite job, C minus one, minus two. And I think a lot of people are often very surprised when they step into these roles and discover how hard they are, right? It's just like, wow, I did not know. And, and some of that you can like, you never really know until you actually do it. And I get that. And again, generalizations are dangerous, but I do think that people can do a lot more work and research and talking to people who are in these roles to find out what it's really like so that when they step into them, there wasn't like, whoa, you know, nobody told me that I was going to be spending literally my entire day dealing with people problems and I can't get my work done at work. So I've got to do my work at night. And then I've got 300 emails in my inbox every morning. And I do think you can get a sense of that. I often reflect on when I went to college at York University in Toronto, I think I looked at the course catalog for five minutes and went, yeah, but you know, now like high school grads, like you got to go on the college tour, right? And go to 10 colleges and you know, your parents are asking you, how do you feel about how you feel here? You think this will be a good fit? And yet we don't do that with jobs, right? And that question, do you really want to lead? And I, I think it doesn't get asked for a couple of reasons. One is the sort of the momentum that carries us along from broader signals from society, right? Like people are often driven by status. They want bigger title, bigger office. If you in fact have an office, more pay and all those things. So I think a lot of people just reflexively go, yeah, I want that. Like, why, why wouldn't I? Of course I want that. 
And on the other side of it, I think corporations and heads of talent and HR departments, again, when they're looking at succession and the pipeline, they start putting like names and faces on slides. And there's a built-in in, in a assumption that, of course, these folks would want these promotions. You know, I do credit Shauna Erdman, who's head of talent at Comcast, for really um, sensitizing me to this. Because she said, we need to have that conversation more about whether you actually want to do this. And and it really resonated for me, too, because I've, I say in the book, leadership is complicated and it's okay to have a complicated relationship with leadership. And I feel like I have in my 15 years of managing people, I've, I've been department head, I've been number two, I've turned down promotions because I was pretty self-aware about both myself and what I'm good at, what I like to do and want to do and what the job required. And sometimes people think it's binary, like you're a leader or not. I don't think that's true. I think it's context is really important. But I keep going back to this idea of like, know thyself, right? Like really figure out your motivations for wanting a leadership position. And if, if the answers are power and money, like that stuff's not going to work in the long term. No, and I, and again, love that. And it's such a know thyself is so important as well. And as you say, it's remarkable how much time we can invest in making certain decisions. Yet when it comes to being a leader, oh, well, of course, or yes, that. So why, why is that? And I've got a great follow-up question from Brent saying, really appreciate this conversation. So should I pursue the job that I want as a leader? Is it about trying to plan for and execute so I can move towards that next promotion? I, I can't answer that for you, but I can encourage you to spend the time. And if you think you want the job, like just pressure test it, like your assumptions and your beliefs, like, and ask yourself, why do I want this job? And look, I said that sort of, I think if you're in it for power and money, I don't think those are going to be work long-term because the world is changing and there's a lot of bad bosses out there still and all that, but like the sort of dictatorial, I'm doing this because it's all about me and I want power that doesn't really play anymore. The bump you get from the money. I mean, yes, that's nice. And I'm not knocking that at all, but the sort of psychological bump of that does wear off over time. And not that I'm here to script a right answer, but I think if you do want to lead, it should be motivated by wanting to have impact in terms of lifting the organization, helping the team and helping other people and being a coach and developing talent. And I always see, you know, leaders as this kind of continuum and at, at one end is sort of people who are selfless and people who are more self-centered. And of course we are a mix of both, right? Like the pie chart, we're all a mix of, we're doing stuff for ourselves and our families and more selfless for the organization and our people. But I think to be an effective leader, you have to be like more than 50% selfless. Like it's not about your personal motivations. Cause I think that greater sort of purpose, um, is going to help you get through the tough spots. And I, I like metaphors and I think, and a lot of people talk about purpose. And I think sometimes that conversation feels a little overworked, but I, I do think you should figure out your own why, like why you want to do this. Because if you do do that, I, the metaphor to me is it's like the centerboard of a sailboat, right? You are going to encounter a lot of like wind and big waves and chop and a lot of, but it's like that centerboard keeps you on track and you should know what that is so that when you hit those tough days, you know why you're doing it and it'll help you get through it. And I think it is such an important point. 
they raise in terms of what's the sustainability of that. When I've had conversations, coaching conversations and otherwise, where people will say, oh, you know, like this is just not, this wasn't for me. And this is, as you say, dealing with people issues and, and other aspects. And they chase a job that they're, it's for the title. And yet when they're there, it's just, oh, put up their hands and say, this is just not, what was I doing? What was I thinking? Back to your core question. Yeah, there is that saying a lot of people want the CEO's job until they get the CEO's job, right? And, and I think that's true. You can substitute a lot of titles in there. And again, you think, man, like great job. And, but the reality of it, I mean, we all know it's like the more you move up, the more you're dealing with people issues and the more you're facing decisions where there's no right answer, it's all grays and whatever you decide is going to anger or, or annoy some constituency, right? And it's just... Those are very real pressures and you've got to be wired for that. You've got to want that, not just put up with it because it is so relentless that the putting up with it is going to get tiresome. Well, and one of the great points you make in the book, many of them, uh, I love that selfless <laughs> versus selfish, if you will. And we all have that within yeah. us. And I really appreciated how you framed it about it's important for us to index more on the selfless side, to be oriented towards What's better for a team? What's better for an organization? Like, yes, I'm going to have things that I'm looking for, yet it's essential for me to be over the line. I'm looking out for others to be as successful as I can be, to be sustainable, to have maximum impact. Absolutely love that. Todd has a, a question and it was going to be one of my questions. So I'm having fun with having Todd in the mix. He's, he said the, his favorite part of the book is the user manual which he'll be having all of his NYU students do and share with one another. So would love to hear you talk about this in more detail. I'd say to me as well, I was like, yeah, this is fabulous. Yeah. Thank you. And, and thank you for the question, Todd. And th this is an idea that, that grew organically out of all my interviews, but it's wonderfully simple to explain. So Craig, you and I know each other, right? We've had many conversations, but let's just assume for a second that you and I became colleagues, right? Like we became partners in a firm or something, and now we're working together every day. Given that, what do we know for certain? We know for certain that it's, it would probably take you and me about three to six months to figure each other out, right? Like our quirks, our pet peeves, our gold stars, right? Introvert, extrovert, do you like email? Do you want to brainstorm over a phone call? Are you a morning person? Like all that stuff, there is just an inevitable learning curve. And so the whole point of the user manual is if on the first day of you and I working together, I just said to you, Craig, looking forward to doing this. So like, what should I know about you? Like your kind of work style and your preferences. And hopefully, you know, you ask me the same question and then we get kind of all our quirks out on the table and then you say, okay, like that's good to know. And I can work with that. And it, to me, this part of the beauty of it is that it puts a very human frame on this idea of like high-performing team. Cause I'm always struck by in the business world, you know, there's, there is this idea is like you put 10 strangers together and go, bam, you're a high-performing team. Now go like, it just doesn't happen. And the older I get, the more I think that the phrase dysfunctional family is kind of redundant. Isn't every family dysfunctional at some level? And if that's true, isn't every team going to be dysfunctional at some level? And shouldn't we just acknowledge that rather than pretend it's not the case? And then if you agree with that, then it's like, okay, given that we're all human beings, we're all a little quirky, right? We all got our, our wiring, our things, our pet peeves, all those things that we can't really change about ourselves. Like, why don't we just have that conversation on the first day? 
have it in a very non-threatening way. It's like, this is just what you should know about me. And then I think, you know, in the same way that we work around the quirks of our extended family, we can do that with each other as long as, and here's the important asterisk, you know, that it's not, it can't be a place that comes from arrogance or being unreasonable. Like I can't say, Craig, if you're going to send me an email, I want it to be in Calibria font, 14 point and color orange. Like otherwise don't say it. it's like, no, that's ridiculous. Right. And it also can't be arrogant, right? It can't be, I'm sitting in my throne and you know, you must serve me this way. It's all got to be in the spirit of we're on the same team. We've got some big goals we want to go after together. The quicker you and I can figure each other out, then we can focus more energy going on our big goals together. And, and, and that's what great teams are, right? Like people, they know and appreciate each other as human beings first, not as colleagues and teammates first, right? And it's just very powerful. We have used it with so many of our clients, even with boards of directors, leadership teams, and and usually you sort of see it cascading down through the organization. And it's also a very real conversation. I know there's a lot of Myers-Briggs and things like that, like that out there, but I've met CEOs who can't remember what their four letters stand for with Myers-Briggs, like let alone how are you supposed to remember the four letters of your 10 people on your leadership team? Like it's just not realistic. But if you told me as just one example, you said, hey, Adam, you know what? I, I really don't like to be interrupted. It's just something you should know about me. It's okay. I can remember that and I can deal with that. Yeah. And, and I love it. And so many people, they get new technology and they'll dive into some don't look at the user manual, then they suffer the consequences. Right. And that's why I love the framing of that exercise that, hey, rather than us trying to figure this out across multiple months, multiple exchanges, trying to put my own interpretive lens on what I see in you, how about we just make it easy? You hit the easy button and go, well, this is who I am. This is who you are. How do we make this work? Where are we going to complement each other? Where are we going to potentially create friction? And, yeah. and I would imagine, and I'm curious about your take on this, that having that exercise also sets a really solid foundation for, as you've called in one of your previous books, like adult conversations, like yeah. let's talk about, so now I've got more of an invitation, if you will, or a platform to be able to talk about some meaningful things. Yeah, and exactly. And, and I do find, I mean, when we run this exercise, we give people a bunch of prompt questions to do their own reflection, then you share them out with the rest of the group. But to me, the most powerful question that we give people is like, what were some early influences that really shaped how you show up at work today and as a teammate, a leadership position? And if people really engage on that and they're honest and vulnerable, there's just some just incredible moments. I mean, like tears, laughter, and sometimes if somebody just shares something about themselves, right? Like, you know, they moved a lot when they were younger and, you know, they got bullied and stuff. And because of that, this, whatever it is, but just that the vulnerability builds trust. We know that, right? But I think sometimes when people share something about themselves and say, because of that, when I grew up and I faced this adversity or, you know, I had an identical twin and we basically were never apart and I've spent very little of my life alone. And so I like being around people and talking about ideas. And that's why I prefer to talk rather than email. It's like, okay, I got you. I got you. That's to me, that's whether it's explicit or it's kind of subconscious. When you meet somebody, you get to know them and they t share something and just, you go, I got you now. Like, I understand who you are. 
Absolutely. And also what I like, and, and you talked about the assessments that are available and I'll use assessments sometimes in the work that I do. And you correctly point out, okay, so they can be high base rate statements, right? Where it's like, okay, 10 to will likely. And then when you're doing a user manual, it's like, this is who I am. These are exactly the behaviors that I will exhibit. And these are the things that bring out the best in me. And this will likely bring out right. the worst. And there's the one asterisk I will add is there are limits to self-awareness, right? And so I always, when we're working people through the exercise, I always say to them at the end, okay, like in 10 minutes, you've done a draft of your user manual, you've shared it with a group. You're probably about 80% of the way there. And if you want to go all in, you need to show it to people who know you well, who yeah. have worked with you, some trusted confidant who can say to you, hey, Craig, anybody who's ever worked with you knows there's this thing about you, right? And that's not in here. You need to put it in there. And that's how you sort of like illuminate the blind spots you have. I love that. Yes. And back to know thyself. Got a great question from Allison wondering, are there specific qualities that you feel leaders are going to need now and into the future as our workforce evolves? Yeah. I mean, how much time have you got, right? Yeah. Through dinner, right? Um, I, I, a couple spring to mind. So the, the first one is the skill of simplifying complexity. And I, I keep coming back to this. I don't think you can be an effective leader unless you are able to simplify complexity. There's just so much going on in the world, in your industry, in your company. And I, to me, it's, it is one of those leadership moments where you're at an all hands and it might be your team or the entire company, whatever, but it is a leadership moment to be standing on a stage or on a Zoom call. And I would say like, answer the kind of questions that little kids ask in the backseat, right? Like, where are we going? How are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? And just to be able to say, look, this is our strategy. This is what we're going to do to win. We got to overcome these three mountains to get there. And I want to acknowledge that reality. And this is how we're going to measure progress, but this is how we're going to win. And this is what success looks like. And to me, that is a leadership moment. And to be able to do that, you need this skill of like taking all the complexity, almost like a funnel and figuring out the simplicity and not oversimplifying. I would pair that. And again, there's like 300 things that are needed for, to be a successful leader. But I, I also think you need to be a really good listener because as much as you've got part of your brain distilling what you do know and making decisions and navigating those gray areas and all that, you have to, on the one hand, like come up with a plan, but then always be testing it. Right. And you do that through listening and reading and things like that, but just having this open mind, like what are the signals that I'm missing here and what have I not factored in? So constantly challenging yourself. And again, like listening is a broader manifest or is a manifestation of just curiosity and, and kind of healthy amount of like self-doubt. Like, do I really know? I need to keep pressure testing this. But I think those like a trap that a lot of leaders fall into is that they stop listening and they don't want to hear any news that sort of contradicts their plan. So again, we could go on forever, but I would put those very high in the list. I love those and lots of great comments. Thank you. Thank you. Amazing insights. Loving this conversation and in the listening piece for sure. I think, especially in today's world where people, it's important for them to feel heard and be a part of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, and I love that focus on simplicity, bringing simplicity to discussions because a lot of times if I see challenges, it's really around, well, it's so complex or nebulous. People are struggling at just saying, I love that. Think about it as a kid in the backseat, like 
Right. Just getting it to its most basic elements, because when there's that, that real, just ambiguous mess for many, it's like, so what are you asking? What am I supposed to do in this circumstance? Uh, it's so great. So thank you for that. Isaac has a question says, I'm absolutely loving this conversation. And I love the title of the book, the lead to leader. If I think of my journey, I feel like my biggest struggle is delegating. I don't know how to do it. Is anything that you've learned or how important is that for me to advance in, in my career? I, I think it's huge. And, and I appreciate you bringing it up because I, I think it's something we do need. People need to talk about more because a huge benefit of delegation is that it helps with your time management, right? Because everybody is so overwhelmed and so busy. And if you can delegate more, it means you're going to give yourself more time. And I think when you look at your calendar and you look at all the things you're doing, I think you need to, you need to sort of challenge yourself in so far as like, what can you give away? What are you holding on to that you can give away? Because one of the leaders I interviewed, um, Mary Elizabeth Perret, she's in the, one of the seven Q and A's in the book. She, she had this great line about you have to give things away as a leader if you want to scale yourself as a leader. And I think it's a great insight because as we're coming up, there's things that we do really well. There's stuff that's our superpower. You know, it's probably the reason why we got promoted and it's a good feedback loop. We feel good doing it. We get a lot of affirmation. And her point is that if you want to scale yourself as a leader, you've got to learn to give away stuff so that other people can learn how to do it because otherwise you're holding yourself back. I think another challenge with delegation is that there's a sense of, you may have a sense of like, well, I'm in, kind of in charge of quality control, right? Like the bar's got to be here. And so... It's hard to let go of that stuff. And I've, I've wrestled with this myself over the years and my 15 years as a manager, so I get it. And I think part of it is figuring out, like, what is the 20% of your job that you do need to micromanage in a healthy way? Just figure out, because I think this idea of, like, it's, it's not binary. It's not like you delegate or you don't. It's like figuring out what to delegate and figure out what's that 80%, what's the 20% that you can't delegate, or even if you do, you're going to be more involved because you appreciate that that 20% is going to make a big difference in terms of like how well the product does with the marketplace or managing up for the board of directors for some presentation, whatever it is, but figure out the 20%. And so to me, those are a couple of insights. And I think the third thing is, is just to see delegation as a coaching opportunity, right? Because part of, if you're a manager, part of your job is to develop talent. And if you delegate something, you're going to get like a few outcomes. Like they might, golly gosh, even do it better than you or thought of something you didn't. And that's a huge win. Or maybe they do it as good as, and again, that's a huge win because you've just saved time. And if they don't do it as well as they should, you know, see that as a coaching opportunity. And to say to the person, it's like, look, you know, you did this. I want every success in the world for you. And you need to know, like, next time you do this, like, these are the three things to keep in mind. I always think that the world would be better off if they got rid of the word manager as a title and just called every manager a coach, because I think, I think that's what the best managers do. And it's also incredibly disarming. I mean, people in the context of work, they don't like feedback, right? They get their back up and it's like, well, you're attacking me personally. And, and it's, it's, and the whole point of 
when you're giving feedback is like, how do you disarm the person so that they actually listen to what you're saying? And I think the best way to do that is to clearly signal that you are on their side of the table and you want them to get to the next level, whatever that next level is and say, Hey, here, I'm here to help you. It's like, if you want to move up, you need to like really nail these things or master these things. And I can give you some tips. That's not to say everybody wants to move up and, and maybe there are some tough performance issues, but to me, like, so those are some of the approaches. Thank you. And lots of great comments again in the comments section. And I really, I love your observation, Adam, about, you know, in order to scale yourself, you've got a delegation is an essential part because you can't do everything. So if you're going to scale a company, you can't do everything. So you've got to build a support base behind that. And I think it's really great as well. Your observation around like looking at our calendars, challenging us to give away, what can we give away and what are some barriers that might hold us back from wanting to give away? Right. I think that's so, so valuable. I've got another question from Tracy saying, I'm really happy that you talked about coaching and replacing manager as coach. There can be lots of definitions around coaching. Like what does a coach look like to you and what are the best practices when it comes to coaching and developing our team members? Yeah, I, I think more broadly, it's just how you go, how you see your job, right? Because I, I do feel like the very best managers see themselves as coaches of talent. And, and I think it's, a, it's also a great way to manage your career if you're, you are ambitious, because in sports and football, especially, they talk about the idea of a coaching tree, right? Like some coach who has had coaches who worked for him this context of sports, usually male. And then those people who work for him go on to become head coaches themselves. And I think you can really set yourself apart if you become seen as a developer of talent, that the people on your teams go off and do amazing things. And part of that to make it work as well is that you have to be willing to let your talent go and and go on to those bigger opportunities. There's a, a great insight. I interviewed a former colleague of mine from the New York Times named Mark Lacey in the book. He's one of the seven extended Q&As. And he had this great insight. He said, you know, sometimes you go into a boss and you say, hey, I've got this new opportunity. I'm going to be moving on. And some bosses will just like look pretty upset. And it's like, wow, you're creating a problem for me. Do you understand what this means for me? You're creating a headache, right? And there's other people, those bosses you go in and tell about that new opportunity. They said, good for you. Like, I'm so proud. I'm pumped. Is there anything I can do to help? And he said he wants to be the latter. And I think everybody should, right? Like the downside of that. And then again, one of the many flavors of bad bosses, because there's so many flavors of bad bosses, but one of the flavors of bad bosses, like their talent orders, right? Like they want to keep people in the box to stay here. And they just see, it's like, I need you as an asset to make my life easier. And so I just think having that mindset of I'm going to be a talent developer. If you do that, I think a lot of the, a lot of stuff gets taken care of. And I think you will really set yourself apart. Like people start noticing that pretty quickly. And all those people that you developed and went on to do great things, they're going to be your cheerleader. They're going to get you promoted. So it's just this virtuous cycle. No, and I, I think that's such a powerful. Uh, observation. And I love it in terms of, you know, it's a mindset. It's how we approach is just how we see our role. I really appreciate yeah. that. Take it above and beyond the practice 
and almost like an identity as this is who I am and this right. is how I approach my responsibilities day to day. And then how can I measure my success in terms of how people that have worked with me, where have they gone and what have they done? I just think it's fabulous. I've got another question here as well from Gregory who wonders, my company has been promising me a few things and I've pursued my MBA and, and keep pushing. And I, I just feel like I'm stalling or I'm not where I should be. Any advice for what I should do or how I should approach this? I can't get into the, all the details, but it's, if you're saying that the company has said, made some promises to you and whether it's in writing or in conversation, and if you feel like there's a, like a noticeable gap between what they said and what's happening, then, and I assume you've done this already, um, but you've got to challenge that and you've got to test that and go to them and just say, look, like, I, I think so much of life is about, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And I think when you're having tough conversations sometimes with your boss or with a direct report, like everybody's really on edge, right? And, and it's just going to turn into like a knife fight in a phone booth or something. And if, if you can just be an adult and say, really committed to the organization and to my role, and we did have this discussion, I did want to follow up because I do feel like there's this gap. I, I love this phrase. There's a gap between the, um, the trip and the brochure, right? Because they, they sort of like, gave you a brochure and it's like the trip you were on does not match that glossy brochure. And that might be a way to, to sort of start the conversation. And hopefully the, the person will own that and say, you know, you're exactly right. We've got a lot going on. And I did say those things to you and it was a make a priority and you want to get some like concrete steps out of that. But a lot of people, let's be honest, going back to the infinite flavors of bad bosses. One of them is people don't always follow through with their commitments. And if you're picking up those signals that this is one of those places or this is one of those bosses, then you need to decide for yourself. And that's, to me, it's one of the challenges, sort of career advice for adults, which is what I tried to include in the book. Cause I think a lot of career advice is based on like, you're a new college grad. How about following your passion? And I've tried <laughs> to tried to address some of the questions that people are in their like thirties and forties deal with. It's like, I've got a really bad boss. Should I, how much should I put up with them? The company's not moving me along as I expected. Should I leave and just go into, I just encourage everybody to, to not make any impulsive decisions, even if you've had a bad day, right? I always say, and I didn't come up with this expression, but you should always be running to something, not away from something, you know, find the, the great new opportunity before you leave. And just realize like there's a, there's risk in everything, right? You know, I was at the New York times for uh, 10 years and I left the times, um, for six years, I went to Newsweek magazine that went back to the times. And so I've kind of lived firsthand the different narratives about the benefits of leaving and coming back. And th these are all nuanced decisions. And just, again, it kind of goes back to that, just take out a white piece of paper and work through, I, I was like working through like potential regrets, right? If I do this, what might I regret later on? And if I don't do this, what might I regret later on? And I always feel like as much as you can, you should go through life with a sort of no surprises, no regrets. And that's not to say you won't be surprised and you won't have regrets, but I think as much, you know, no surprises means do as much research as you can on your decision and try and see it from all sides. And then once you make the decision, try not to have any regrets. And it's like, okay, you made the best decision you could. Now let's move on. 
And thank you again. It's just so many comments about how great, appreciate the insights, Adam. And what I loved about what you're sharing is that you talk about the importance of how you deliver that message, like how you frame it, how, and that's so powerful because I find, again, in my work, a lot of times it's not about content or the core idea back to simplicity. It's just delivered with a sledgehammer or with a, you know, a gas can and a match and you just light everything on fire. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How can we have this conversation? And the other thing I really like about the approach that you take throughout the book is where you, and rather than say, well, here's the advice or here's what you want to do. And it just resonates so strongly with me. You're like, here are some reflective questions that you may want to ponder to your point about, well, before you go out and say, well, that's it. I'm done. Like they said, it was Thursday, November, whatever. And I'm finished. Okay. Like, let's just deep breath, ask some centering questions and what are going to be the cons? How could I have this conversation? And a question I want to ask, cause I, I love it. Uh, I'm so glad so many people are asking questions. I am not surprised yet. I love one of the quotes in your book, cause it's like a personal mantra of mine. And you say, if you don't ask, you don't get. Right. And I've had thousands of conversations. And to me, I was just, I, I highlighted that in every color highlighter I have. Can you talk to us about why that's so important and the impact that that has? Cause I think, and it fits so nicely with our, our previous question. I find the older I get, the more I like sentences that begin with, there's only two kinds of people in the world. And, um, Drive my kids crazy with that, by the way. But I, I do find in work, there's broadly two kinds of employees. There's show ponies and there's workhorses, right? And the show ponies don't really do their work. And yet they spend all their energy managing up and taking credit for stuff and, you know, hanging around the boss's office and things like that. And meanwhile, the workhorses are doing all the work, right? And I think it's better to be a workhorse, but I also think you have to be you know, strategic about it, because what you don't want to be is the workhorse who has a talk track in their head saying, if I just focus on the work and do a really good job, people will notice. And as much as we would like to think the world works that way, it usually doesn't. And because if you sort of get into the heads of the people above you who are managing, you would like to think in the ideal world, they're sort of like talent scouts, right? For a professional sports team. It's like, wow, I've got all these people and I've got these talent scouting reports and we've got all these like career development plans for each and every one of them. It's like, wouldn't it be great if the world worked that way? It doesn't work that way, right? Your bosses and their bosses' bosses, they're basically getting up in the morning and saying like, what problems do I have today? And who can help me solve those problems? You can call them opportunities, but mostly they're problems, right? And who I'm looking around, who can help me? And so you need to be your own agent a little bit and your own advocate. And just, it's about saying the right things at the right moment, right? So you have your quarterly or semi-annual or annual reviews with your bosses. Like that's the time to make clear that you are ambitious and what you want to do, not specifically, because I find what people have overly rigid career goals. Like I want this title in two years. It's like, yeah, but we kind of think you'd be great over here. But make clear that you are ambitious, you want to move up, you want to know what everything you can do to improve your chances of doing that. So let them know you are ambitious, but it's about being ambitious in the best sense of the word. It's about being ambitious to make an impact, 
for the organization. And don't be shy if you do have accomplishments, like find smart and subtle ways to work that into the conversation. It's like, you can say, wow, like I gotta say in six months, like the team just did an amazing job delivering on that thing. We came in under budget ahead of time and you're giving credit to the team, but you led the team. So like, it's a little bit of indirection there. Um, so again, like you don't want to be the show pony, um, but don't be that workhorse who's telling themselves that it's like, if I just focus on the work, I'm going to get noticed because unfortunately the, the world doesn't work that way. No, absolutely. And, and again, one of the reasons why, and I shared at the outset, why, I've, why I'm so fortunate in having these conversations reminds me had Sally Helgeson on and she wrote how women rise and rising together and. And she was sharing the exact same message around, Hey, we've got to find a way for us to be able to raise our hand. And, and I've got so many comments in here about workhorses versus show pony. I'm, you know, mic drop, taking that to work tomorrow. So, uh, that's awesome. What, when it comes to, and I've got a couple of questions around this as well. The show pony is making me, that's what I'm afraid of becoming. Any advice around how I can be a more effective workhorse or a uh, more visible workhorse? Yeah. And, and I think I would say if, if you are a workhorse who's worried about coming across as a show pony, I would encourage you to give yourself a little more latitude, right? Because I think you, it's not like volume on a guitar amp, like you may think that you're playing at a 10 or something like that by having a conversation and being direct and you know, you might be uncomfortable. It's like, well, I've never done this before. I feel like I'm being really aggressive. And you think you're playing it at a 10. It's like, trust me, they are hearing you at a five, right? Just don't worry about it. And again, there's a huge difference between being assertive and being aggressive. There's a huge difference between like advocating for yourself to help the, help the organization while you're moving up and the impact. And you think you can take on those problems and challenges that people have, as opposed to it's like, I want to outsource my career development to you, my boss. And so what are you going to do for me about my career? Because there's just a lot of obnoxious people out there. I'm just going to call it like this obnoxious people. They want to outsource all their career development to their bosses, to the company. They sort of take the back seat and say, well, how come I'm not being promoted? There's a lot of people who are like always jawboning their boss about a promotion. And when I was a manager, I had somebody on my team and there was a sort of message. It's like, well, if you give me this promotion, then I'm really going to, I'm really going to kick in. It's like, well, why don't you kick in now? Right. <laughs> and so I would just say like, give yourself, don't worry so much. And, and I, I have lived this personally because I am Canadian by birth. I live in the States, dual citizen. And I do say I'm bilingual. I speak Canadian and American, but my first newspaper job out of graduate school, I was interviewing with the editor and the publisher of this business weekly. And I felt like in my mind, I felt like I was pinning him up against the wall and like beating him up saying, give me this damn job. Right. Like I, and it was very uncharacteristic of me, but I figured like, I got to go for it. And a few months later, they told me, it's like, you know, Adam, we weren't really sure you wanted the job. And I was just like, oh my God. And I, I do think bosses really appreciate people who you know, say that they want something and for the right reason, it's okay to do that. And as much as like, we'd like to think our bosses are focused entirely on us. Everybody's managing up. Everybody goes through life managing up. The CEO is managing the board, right? The board is managing the biggest shareholders, right? It's like, they're not thinking about you. You'd like to think people are thinking about you, but they're not. And so 
don't worry again. It's that thing of like, I feel like I'm playing like really loud this guitar. I'm playing it at 10. It's like, trust me, they're hearing you at a five. Well, and I love that. I think a part of the book as well. You talk about that in difficult conversations where like, oh, well, I feel like I'm X. And it's such a great point because so many times we can turn our own volume down and then it's like, hey, so let's just think about this or what advice would I give or what would I? And it's just such a, again, a trap that we can avoid by being thoughtful. And as you say, it reminds me of being a speaker. I remember going through early days and then someone say, if you make a mistake, you're way more concerned about, you focus way more on this. The audience doesn't even know. And then you're, you know, really panicked about it. So experiment, try it out. I love that. The hour is flown by. We're getting near the end. We've covered so much great things. Oh, and I have a, a comment here. I do want to read it because I just think it's, I pick out some, sometimes. Here's one from Stephen who said, I love that comment about show pony versus workhorse. Really hits the nail on the head for me. Wish I had heard some of these things years ago. So I just thought it's a, uh, pass that along. One thing you, you talk about, and I'd like to get your take on this, Adam, as we close, you talk about the importance of relationships and building a community. And then you say one of the most overlooked groups in our careers is our peers. And I was just like, okay, that's so awesome. Can you talk about why our peer group is so important and then how to effectively engage with our peers in, in our organizations? Yeah. And, and I, it goes back to like the idea people are so busy and I think people say, okay, I need to like triage my, triage my calendar, right? So you focus on the job you have to do. And then if you're a manager, it's like, oh, well, I've got to spend manage my team. Right. And then say, well, I got to manage my boss too. And it's like, okay, those three things doing my job, managing up, managing down, I'm kind of done. Right. Like I don't have, I need to sleep and eat on top of that. And just because that, and it's completely understandable how that happens. Right. Because those are the most urgent and pleasant things you have to engage, but there's just a very predictable pattern that a lot of people do develop this blind spot is that because of that framework, they don't invest enough time in building relationships with their peers, right? Just people who are like on different teams, they're at the same level. You're probably in a lot of meetings with them. If you work in a matrix organization, you probably need them to get done what you need to do. You get caught in, and I did too. I mean, when I was a manager, I would, used to like, I always feel like the word should is very dangerous in the context of work. It's like, this is your job. You should do it, right? That's not how the world works. People do stuff because they want to do it. They don't help you because they should, it's because they want to. And so you do need to spend that time having coffees, building those relationships. How can I help you? What can I do for you? And again, it's really totally understandable when people say, I just don't have time to do that. And the only answer is like, I'm sorry. Like it's those peers are going to be so important to you accomplishing what you need to get done. And finally, it's those people are going to decide whether you get the promotion or not, right? Like you need those people to pick up their pom-poms and be the cheerleaders when there's an opening and they see, you know what, if Craig gets that promotion, then I win too, because that's how people get promoted. And I'm with you on the crusade of the should and the damaging effects. One of my favorite expressions someone shared with me, you know, stop shooting on yourself and on others. You know, like right. it's, it, it is a very dangerous mindset to be in. And, uh, and as we close, we're, and again, I've got so many fantastic comments and expressions of gratitude. Um, I, I love how the book is. And, I, and again, I'm going to highly recommend, please go out, grab your copy, 
it's so valuable. There are so many, you can go to any page. I've highlighted things, great expressions, great insights, great practices. Uh, and I love that it's focused on mindset and relationships. Like it's really around those, that inner game of leadership. Is there anything you want to leave with us as a final thought or something that, you know, that we didn't cover today that you'd love to touch on or emphasize a previous point? I'll go back to the notion of listening because I do feel like if everybody who's listening in is ambitious and you're probably self-selecting that you're joining this. I, and I, I often go back to the simple question of like, how do you set yourself apart? Like if you are ambitious, right? How do you set yourself apart from the pack? And there's a lot of different ways to do that. And some of them are pretty basic, like just do what you say you're going to do and, and all those things. But I also feel like being known as a good listener is going to set yourself apart because I feel like listening is a skill that's on the decline. I don't know if it's because of our devices or what, but like people don't just get out of the practice. And, and most conversations are serial monologues, right? People are just waiting for you to stop talking so they can tell you what they think. And I think if you are a good listener, it just has this kind of exponential impact on how people see you, the followership that you build, the, the strength of the relationships that you build and just what you learn. I also feel like listening is, it's one of those skills you can work on like, and all day long, right? Like whatever you're around other people. And to me, it all comes back to this simple question. I often like, if I'm dealing with MBA classes and stuff, I always like to ask, at the beginning of the class, like, who's the best listener you know, right? Yeah, I don't need to hear it, but just to yourself, who's the best listener you know? And then at the end of the class, after we've talked about listening, I'll say, okay, let's pretend I could talk to everybody, every one of you, I could talk to all your networks, firms, family, colleagues and stuff, and ask them, who's the best listener they know? They say, it's you, right? And uh, a lot of people laugh and shake their head and say, absolutely not. I do think it's, it is a good and noble challenge. It's like, why not? try to be the best listener that everybody in your network knows. And, and then you'll just start seeing the, again, the incredible exponential benefits of that. Well, and what an amazing answer to close our conversation today, Adam, because I just think it's so powerful listening to ourselves, know thyself, listen to others. So we access information from them. And I think it's no coincidence that when you look at it, why does empathy get so much attention these days? People want to feel understood. People want to feel heard. People want to feel connected. How do you build trust? How do you build those relationships you're talking about? It's not through talking and directives. It's through listening. So this was just absolutely awesome. So with that, Adam, thank you so, so much. I can't express my personal gratitude enough or from the comments I got during our live conversation today, always learn so, so much. And I just really love your passion for positive leadership. That's great. Well, thanks so much for the invite. Great spending time with you as always, Craig. All right, everyone, take care. Bye for now. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Do Good to Lead Well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can follow me on Twitter at Craig Dowden or reach out via LinkedIn or email info at craigdowden.com. I look forward to meeting you here next week for another transformational episode.